Uh, there's, a, um, there's a show uh, called Who Dares Wins. Um, if, you're, uh, if you're under 25, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but it was a great show. Um, it actually aired first in the mid-90s, uh, and then they, they re-ran it in the mid-noughties, uh, uh, 2005, I think, to 2007. And the, the whole idea was, um, uh, I think his name was Mike or Mick, um, one of those. He was a famous uh, cricket player, I think, hosted the show, and he'd a, he was a, Mike, it was Mike. So Mike Whitney, uh, he, he'd go up to people and he would dare them to do um, extravagant things. So uh, there was one dare where um, this lady drove a stunt car over a ramp and through a caravan that exploded as she drove the, the car through it. So it was all set up um, and that was a dare. And, uh, and there was another one where my, one of my favourite ones was um, a lady trying to walk a tightrope over a, over a sort of a really high exp- ex- expanse. It was sort of 70 or 80 metres up. Um, and she had to try and walk. And she was harnessed, of course, and, and she was tied in. Um, but, but the way, I guess the way you'd understand it is that these people that were dared to do something, they were trusting that everything would work, right? Like, um, it, because of their trust in um, Mike and the setup, they were able to do incredible things. It wouldn't work if they had a suspicion that they could die. Right, like if they, if the, if he was daring them, and he was like, "Look, you need to walk this tightrope, and I'm not going to give you a harness, but I'll give you a little balance, and you should be okay." That just wouldn't work, right? Nobody would do it, or people would do it, and they'd die, and the show would be ruined, right? It just doesn't work that way. It worked um, because these people that were dared to do something, they trusted um, these promises that Mike made. Uh, and they put on that harness, and they had that little, uh, little attachment to the tightrope, and they did these really incredible things. They were able to do incredible things uh, because of their trust. Um, we're going we're to talk about uh, Abraham today, and I want to suggest to you that all of our problems in life come from not trusting in God's promises. All of them. Every single problem that you face, your uh, anxiety and your, the things that you believe about yourself and your relationships... They come from, they arise from not believing in God's promises. And we're going to see that in uh, just a couple of minutes because we're on a holiday service and I've got to, we're just going to be a little bit shorter this morning. So open your Bibles to Genesis 15. I'm going to read a, uh, a passage there and then, uh, then we'll get into it. <clears throat> Genesis 15 verses 1. <clears throat> After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. Sorry, uh, I'm going to have to actually (laughs) open up the text because I've uh, muddled my pages. Uh, Can someone, can can I just read from your Bible, Lenny? Oh, gee, that's small. Uh... I'm young, I can do this. Uh, to give you this land to inherit it. 
Steve Turley, it's none of your business, mate, if my eyes are terrible. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I'll inherit it? Verse 9, and he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two, down the middle, and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge, afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age." But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when it came to pass, when the sun went down and it, went, and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, so Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenazites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Amen. So we're continuing uh, a series in Genesis this morning uh, where we, uh, we started by looking at um, creation and then last week we looked at the flood and this morning we're looking at uh, Abram, the story of Abram. And these are where three... Uh, stories into five stories that form the hinges of Genesis, that, that make up the, the narrative flow of Genesis. They call them the um, Ella Teledos, and, and we'll see that again in a moment. Um, uh, we'll, we'll just jump back to chapter 12 where Ab- Abram's story starts, um, but we're, we're continuing on with the story of Abraham, uh, Abram, uh, and uh, we're going to have a little bit of a look at um, sort of the key point in Abram's life, the key uh, experience. Abram has done a um, Abraham has done and, and does a, a number of incredible things in his life. And we could spend a lot of time um, talking about uh, Abraham and his whole life. Um, he, he's the center of um, three world religions, right? Or not the center of, he's a key figure in three world religions. The Jews, the Christians and the Muslims, right? We all hold Abraham in high regard. He's the father of uh, the faith. Um, and this, uh, this is where it all picks up. So the first part of this um, conversation here, in, in the first part of Genesis 15, refers back to uh, Genesis 12, right? And, and the introduction of Abram. So uh, Genesis 12, 1, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God calls Abram um, originally and says, go. And he says uh, two things there, right? Go from your country, place, and go from your people, your kindred and your family. Um, God calls Abram to leave everything. And then God makes a promise to him. I will show you a land and I'll make you a great people. So he makes a promise in regard to the things that he calls him to leave. Um, Notice the order of this, right? It seems to us, it seems the wrong way around. Show me the land, and then I'll go. Give me a people, and then I'll give these up. We say, you know, and culturally, it's um, what do you do when someone makes a big claim? You say, prove it. 
don't you? We say, I need proof. Give me proof, mate. I'll, I'll believe you when I see it. Um, I need a guarantee. I need a, an outline strategy. I need a redundancy. Um, prove it to me. I need to see it in order to believe it. But look in the movements of, in Abram's life. In, in all of Abram's life, if you look at the movements that he, that he made, um, God says, I'm going to send you out. Abram says, where? And God says, go and I'll show you. God says, I'll give you a land. Abram says, where? And God says, go and I'll show you. I'll give you a child. How? Trust me and I'll show you. Sacrifice your child. Why? Go up the mountain and I will show you. And in every situation, right, in each of these trials, um, Abraham triumphed. He lived a, a, a huge life. It's, it's hard to describe it, right? He lived a, a large, a full life, a really a great life, a great adventure. The question is, how was he able to do this? What compelled him to take the risks uh, and, and to do the things that he did, to live the way that he did for God? What drove him, right? What fueled Abram? And here's... Uh, Here's what I want to suggest. He took the promises of God and they were an anchor to him. Hebrews 6, right? Uh, Hebrews 6, 17, Hebrews 11. Hebrews talks about this um, really thoroughly. Hebrews 11, 1 talks about faith and Abraham is a key figure when we think about faith. And Hebrews 6 talks about faith as an anchor. So let me read two, those two verses for you. Hebrews 6, 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Talking about God's promises to Abraham. We have this as an anchor to the soul. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So think about this. Uh, what compelled Abram to live the way that he did? Uh, to live uh, in, this, in this great way, in this grand way? He had an anchor. He had a, a conviction of something unseen. He had, had something underneath, under the water, right? Uh, uh, it goes so far beyond uh, what we think culturally. Think about what an anchor is, right? Uh, I've, uh, I've done a little bit of um, kayaking on, on the ocean and currents are a serious thing, right? Currents are very strong things. And what does an anchor do? An anchor, sounds a little bit, a little bit silly, an anchor anchors you, right? You, you're in a current and you're going to move and you're going to drift wherever the current will take you. If you're not moving, if you stop for a second... You're going to drift and you're going to end up somewhere completely other than you thought you would be. So if you're, if you're not anchored, all of a sudden you're 20 degrees off of where you thought you were and, uh, and you just, you're not even sure how you got there. You don't even realize it. You look up and you're like, wow, that was over there before and now it's over here. Um, Abram had an anchor and that's the way life can work a little bit, can't it? If, if, you, if you think about this in, in your own life, I was, I was paddling and I took a break and I wasn't intending to be here, but my lack of an anchor has meant that I am. And I'm, I'm just realizing, realizing now how lost I am. You know, I was, I was just going about my life and I just, I, I took my eyes off, off of uh, life for a second and I sort of, sort of lost sight and all of a sudden I've drifted and I'm way over here and I wasn't intending to be here, but my lack of an anchor has meant that I am. And we sort of, we realize, we have these moments of realization where it's like, how did I get here? How did I drift all of this way? You know, you look at your relationships and the, and the things in your life and you're just sort of like, 
wow, how did this happen? Without an anchor, the current uh, will carry you. If you have an anchor, uh, anything, uh, sorry, anything other than God, an anchor in anything other than God, that's going to happen to you in your life. If your anchor is your career, or a spouse, or a friend, or success, or self-confidence, whatever it is, if it's anything circumstantial, that's how it's going to result, right? Because circumstances will change because they are not consistent. They are going to change on you. You need an anchor that goes underneath the water. You go, of course I do, Matt. That's obvious. But why do we keep doing it? It's like our anchor, our anchor is just halfway down and it's in the water and the boat's dragging and we're wondering why we're drifting so much. It's like, why, why are we doing this? Because your anchor is not in a rock. It is not in something solid. Where are the areas in your life where you need your faith to be revitalized? Where you need a solid anchor, a deep conviction that comes from an unseen reality? So Abram had an anchor. He had a sure and steadfast hope. What was it? What was his deep conviction? What was the thing, right? What was the thing that he was trusting in that anchored him? Because you can't just go leaving your home, Abram. You can't just go changing your career, leaving your family, moving away to some unknown area that's so irresponsible. What about this? Or what if this happens? Or what happens when... Come on, man. You can't just go and do that. Faith is acknowledging the God reality of the whole world. Faith is, is acknowledging that I don't have it all worked out that I don't actually have the full picture, but that God does, and He's calling me to something. So the only way that you have faith is when you have something that will outlast your circumstances. Verse 8, let's pick up this a little bit. What is the anchor? That's what we're looking for. What is the anchor that Abram had? But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought all these, cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. What's, what's going on here, right? If, if you are a human, you read this and you're like, that's a bit weird. Like that's just a little bit of a strange scene. Um, animals gathered and cut in half and laid out. To us, this is just the most bizarre thing. But to Abram, he, just, he knows exactly what to do. He doesn't ask what to do. He doesn't, so he's not looking for details. He just goes and does it. Um, think about it this way for a second. What's the common experience when you get married or you enter into a business agreement or you purchase property? You know, what, what do you do? You sign your name, don't you? Right? You, you sign your name against an agreement. And, and what that is doing is responding to the other person saying, how will I know? Right? So, so the other person, how will I know that you'll keep your promise? How will I know that you've made these vows? How will I know that you'll be faithful to them? Or you've, made this, um, you've entered into this agreement with me. How will I know that you'll actually hold up uh, your end? And you sign your name and you, you put your name against it. We understand culturally at the moment, I will sign my name and I will put my reputation on the line, recognizing there are consequences when I break my word. So I will sign that document recognizing that if I break that, there are going to be consequences. So when Abram asks, 
O Lord God, in verse 8 there, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Right? He's, he's looking for an anchor. How am I to know? In their culture, which was, was, was significantly different in a storytelling culture, in an, in an oral culture, they didn't write out agreements. They didn't write out contracts. When two parties made an agreement, the way that they would put themselves in a position to recognize the consequences is they would act out the consequences of unfaithfulness in front of everyone. So the way that they would enter into an agreement is, is this is what the consequences are going to look like. We're going to act out the consequences of unfaithfulness to this agreement in front of people. Uh, See this in Jeremiah 34, verse 18 says, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant they had made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut into and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf. And I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. So take an animal, slay it, cut it in half and walk between the pieces. And what you are saying in that is, if I don't do everything I have said I will, may I be cut off. May I be slayed. May I be torn apart, right? And what a, uh, that's a little more effective than signing a piece of paper, right? Like imagine the, the kind of agreements we would have if we did that still. If I do not f- fulfill my end of this agreement, may I be like these animals are. May the birds of the air consume me. May I be torn apart. May I be slayed. That is a, a very powerful picture there, isn't it? Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go back to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Verse 17, um, this, this little key verse here, When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So at the start of this little scene in verse 12, and the, and the end of the scene in verse 17, you have these two elements that, um, that sort of... Uh, really are the most significant elements, but are also the most confusing elements. Um, Dreadful, great darkness, right? Verse 12, And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. This is the same, the word darkness there, that's the same darkness that descended over Egypt. Right? So there's, there's a lot of meaning attached to that word. Think about the human response to this. Dreadful and great darkness. What's the, what's the, how do you respond to that? Well, you want to curl up. You just want to curl up and you want to hide yourself and you want, you know, you want to get low. And this properly symbolizes a human response to the holiness of God. Right? Think about the way that, that Moses most likely is writing this. He's trying to put words to this tremendous reality of what's happening with Abram right now. It was like a dreadful, great darkness came down. And all that you wanted to do was you just wanted to 
You wanted to cower, you wanted to hide before the holiness of God. And then the second picture you get here is verse 17, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch. That The smoke there, that's the same word that's used to describe the experience at Mount Sinai, where God comes down and, and, and visits uh, again, right? It's the same sort of description there um, used of that. Now, now we, you can't really be sure of what these pieces um, specifically are, but the, the idea here is that God comes down. Think about what it's like when you've got smoke in your eyes. It's winter, right? Everyone's, everyone's having a, a fire. Or if you're not having a fire, you should be because um, it's a great experience. Um, but when you get smoke in your eyes, that's not a great experience. You know, you, 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 it stings and you want to you sort of recoil. And then the room fills with smoke and you want to be on the ground and you want to be crawling out of there. It's the same thing, right? It's the same thing as darkness. You want to be down and you want to be sheltered and you want to get out of that smoke. It grips you, doesn't it? Ever had a conversation around a fire and all of a sudden someone's mid-sentence and... (laughs) You know, they have to look away. They can't... It's gripping. It's intense. That's what this is like. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. God's presence comes down and talks with Abram. And they have a conversation here. But look at what he does. He says he makes these uh, promises, these, these incredible promises. promises, and, uh, and, But look at what he does. Look at what happens here in verse 17. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pitches. See what's going on here? See what's happening in this scene? We would sign a piece of paper, right? Yep, agreed. All right, I promise to do that. I'll sign my name. That's fantastic. We would sign a piece of paper, but something far greater is happening here. God is entering into an agreement with Abram, isn't he? He comes down and visits Abram, and they slay these animals, and they lay them in, uh, lay them in halves, and God is entering into an agreement with them. This is really significant. In doing so, he is saying, I've promised to bless you. I've promised to give you a land. I've promised to give you children and, and through you to bless the nations. I have made these promises to you. And if I don't do what I say, may I be cut off. May I be destroyed. May my, may my body be torn. May I be ashamed. Now, this is incredible. Like, don't miss the significance of this. What, what a God who says this, who makes promises like this. What a God who gives himself to us to his people, who enters into an agreement, to a covenant with his people, who comes down to us as a sure and steadfast anchor. That is amazing. Yeah, right? That's really significant. But that's not all. That's that's just the start of what's happening here. At the end of the day, what, what do we say? How do we respond to that? At the end of the day, we, in our hearts, I wasn't that worried about you, God, because I know you're really strong and I know you're really able, how do I know about me? In, in our hearts, we aren't really second-guessing God's ability, are we? Because we know that He is capable. We know that He is well able. We're doubting ours. What, what if I don't come through? What if I can't keep my promises? I will let you down. You'll grow tired of me, God. You'll give up on me. Right? And that's where we land with these doubts that grip us. I'm just not so sure that I've 
got what it takes. What if I can't keep my end of this agreement? But look what's happened. Look uh, what's happened here in verse 17. The sun had gone down and it was dark. Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. God walks through the pieces alone. Don't, don't miss this. He doesn't, God doesn't stop and say, All right, Abram, your turn, mate. Come on. Let's go. Come on. Let's line up, mate. No, 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 no. We, we know from history the way that these agreements work, right? We, we know we've got a really clear picture of what happens here when a king makes an agreement with a lesser figure, uh, like a servant or a, or a vassal. Either they both walk through the pieces or only the servant does. They are both saying to each other, if I don't do my part, may I be eaten by the birds? You know, may I be torn apart? So they both do all the servant does because why would the king need to? It's the servant you don't trust, right? It's the servant who's more likely to fail, not keep their end of the agreement. They're both saying to each other, if I don't keep my part, may I be, may I be uh, uh, torn. But God walks through alone. And this is the gospel. All right, hear this. Listen to this. He is saying, Abram, I'm going to go through this for both of us. The gospel is not a partnership here. It's not self-help. God comes through and says, I will take upon myself the curse of the covenant for both of us. May I be cut off if I don't keep my end of the agreement, but also may I be cut off if you don't keep yours. I will bless you even if it means I have to die. See what's happening now? You're starting to connect this. The same darkness that came down then in the Abrahamic covenant came down again centuries later in Mark 15. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour... Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Isaiah says of this, He was cut off from the land of the living. The gospel reality here is that God has redeemed us from the curse of our own failures. Furthermore, the gospel is God giving Himself to us. I will bless you. I will restore you unto me. I will make you members of my family, even if it means that I have to die. Who, what kind of king is this, right? I'm going through for both of us. And I'm going to keep my end of the agreement. And I'm going to pay the price for you when you don't keep yours. Think about this for a second. All of your problems come about because you don't trust the promises of God. Right? We're back here. Your anxiety, your lack of self-control, your disobedience, they come from not trusting God's promises. How do we grow in this? Right? Like what's, what's, the, what's the application here? How do we grow? Well, look at what Abram says. Look at what Abram says to God, right? At the start of that um, scene, Abram says... How will I know to God? He questions God. And God doesn't say, how dare you, right? How dare you doubt me? It doesn't blow him off. God actually responds to him. So faith, the lesson for us is faith isn't having it all figured out. It's, it's completely the opposite. 
It's knowing that I don't have it figured out. I don't have a full picture of what life is for me, but that God does. Right? You see this uh, in this, this interaction with Jesus in Mark 9, um, where a, a father comes to him and he wants healing for his kid. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Faith starts by recognizing how little we know and, and by how unable we are and by asking God to show us. Show me, God. Show me. I'm doubting you and I'm doubting myself, but I want to see more clearly. God doesn't blow us off in that moment. He doesn't say, seriously, after all that I've done, you're going to respond to me with that. No, he says, I'm going to show you. I will show you so clearly, so crystal clearly, definitively, eternally and powerfully on the cross. I will do what you can't. I will be crushed so you can be restored. I'll be an outcast so that you can be brought in. I will be sorrowful so that you can know true joy. I will suffer so you can know freedom and I will die so that you can live. This is the catalyst for faith, right? What's the anchor that Abram had? What's the, what's the sure and steadfast anchor underneath a man who lived this incredible life, right? This incredible life of just following God's call. All right, God, you want me to go there? Let's go there. All right, we're going to do that. Yeah, I don't really know what's happening there. How am I going to know, God? What's the anchor underneath that? I believe, God, I believe, but there are parts of my heart that are resistant and stubborn and unwilling, and I want to grow, and I want to see more of you. So show me. How will I know? Show me. And God gives us the cross as a resounding statement for all of eternity. Behold it. Take hold of my love for you. My willingness to do whatever was necessary to rescue you. It's so clear, isn't it? He says, I love you. You can trust me. Follow me. Listen to my voice. And a life of faith awaits us in responding to the cross, in responding to the work of Jesus, the most definitive statement from God in all of history. Let us, let us live lives like Abram. Obedient faith. Yeah, but you stand up. I'll, I'll read a scripture and then we'll, I'll close in prayer. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors.
God, we, we, uh, we just come before you uh, in awe, amazed at your work. We look at uh, the life of um, Abram, this uh, hero of the faith, right? This, this father of, of the faith to us. And, and we sort of, I don't know, I think sometimes we go, well, that, he's cut from a different cloth. He's a different kind of guy. But we just know that that's not true. That he had doubts and he, he questioned things. Uh, even today, uh, how will I know God? How can I be sure? And you in your mercy, you respond to him and you respond to us. The cross means that you can be really sure. You can be so sure of my love for you, of my promises for you. So would, would, you, uh, would you help us to take hold of that? Holy Spirit, would you be at work in our hearts to renew us where, we are, where we're doubting, where we're, there's uh, parts of us where we're stubborn and we're unwilling and we're unbelieving? Um, would you invade those parts of our life, God? The things that we believe about ourselves, uh, the, the things that we pursue, um, the, the false anchors. Um, Holy Spirit, would you be at work to renew our faith, to trust in your promises for us? We, uh, we just stand amazed at a God who covenants with us and fulfills our end of the agreement, who suffers for our sin, for our failure, for our disobedience, who suffers to free us to live as we were truly made to. To help us to take hold of this God. Amen. All right, be blessed. See you next week.